Mac Power Users, Episode 32, Pictures and Your Mac. Welcome, everyone, to the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks, taking a break from the real world and back to the podcasting world. How are you, David? I'm doing great, Katie. It's always fun podcasting with you about Mac Power Usery things. Yeah, I hit the red button this time. All right. So we uh, we're getting to the to the end of summer. Um, David's getting ready to go on vacation. I just booked my vacation, and we're we're starting to think about what kind of Mac Power user topics uh, would be of use to people this time of year. So uh, we started thinking about photo workflows and and uh, how we incorporate that into our Macs and. Initially, we thought that this was going to kind of be a, a short, shorter show because neither David or I really consider ourselves professional photographers. But uh, as we started sitting down to outline it, it's uh, looking like we could be here a while tonight. Nothing wrong with that. No, no. And um, I hope we'll, we'll give you a couple of different perspectives here because David and I are, are really in different places with our photography workflows. Um, you know, David's got the digital SLR and the pictures of the family and the kids, and I've got the point and shoot and just the snapshots on the wall. And David is Mr. Aperture, and I've just got my little eye photo here. And so hopefully we'll, we'll, you'll find something for everybody between the two of us. Yeah, you know, we've got a lot of emails from people asking us to do a photo show. And I was kind of intimidated by it because, you know, like Victor does such a great photo show. And there's a lot of really good um, Mac and photo podcasts out there that can tell you how to take pictures. But I figured, you know why? What the heck? You know, we've got some pretty good ideas as well. And maybe that'll help somebody. Yeah, I don't know that this show is going to tell you so much um, how to be a good photographer. Although maybe we'll throw out a, a few tips. But... Um, maybe so much it will help you with some, some workflows of, of once you take those amazing photos that those other podcasts tell you how to take what to do with them. Exactly. Is that a fair point? Okay. Yeah. All right. So every photographer's got this bag that they lug around. Some are bigger than others. What's in yours? Okay. So my photographer kit, I, when I was a kid, I took the class and learned how to develop film. So, you know, I was one of those kind of geeks. But to be honest, like you, for a long time, I used just a point and shoot. And as my kids started getting older and I started seeing some friends that were getting some of these digital SLRs and the, the images they were getting, you know, because they've got a larger sensor than most of the, the point and shoots do. I started thinking maybe I need one of these. So a couple of years ago, maybe I think three or four years ago, I was in Best Buy and they had a clearance on a Canon XTI, which is their, I guess, consumer level um, SLR. And it was out of the box, and they didn't have all the parts, but it was fine. So I bought it, and I've been using that for the whole time now, and I really love it. And I don't have a lot of lenses for it. I went and did a photo shoot with Victor Cajiao a few months ago and was amazed with some of the great lenses he's got. I've just got a, a basic zoom. I think it's um, 22 to 80. And then I've got what I call my Nifty 50, my very favorite lens. It's a 50-millimeter lens with a 1.4 aperture, which means you can do a really good job of getting that, that short field focus. It's really good for taking pictures of people and blurring the background. And I use that like 90% of the time. And I've got a Gorillapod tripod. I think everybody needs a tripod. And I've got a flash on the camera, but I don't have a separate flash I've bought, and I almost never use a flash on that camera. 
Actually, I use, the time that I use the flash is during the daytime when I need the fill-in flash. But inside, I I'm, I hate the the way they look when you take a picture of the flash. So uh, I've got a pretty nice camera, but I don't really have a lot to go with it. And it works just fine for me. How about you? Wow. Okay, you've got me intimidated already. Uh, let me say that I used to be a little bit of a photography junkie. Um, back in high school and in college, I was a yearbook and newspaper nerd. And I uh, used to shoot an old film camera, Nikon, and would develop uh, my own photos. My high school was very fortunate. We were one of the last remaining dark rooms uh, in the county, and we had access to our own dark room. So that was very cool. I know this is going to sound odd, but there's nothing like the smell of a dark room and the dark room chemicals. I can, okay, maybe maybe that just makes me sound high. I don't know. But it's getting kind of creepy now, Katie. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, you know, I, but I did, I, I took a lot away uh, from those, those years of experience shooting with a, a real film camera and a real, um, SLR camera, because I learned so much in those, you know, about how cameras work and also a lot about composition that can really transfer over to a point and shoot. Um, and I, I kept that, that, film camera around for years and years and years and years and finally a couple of years ago I just I sold it on Craigslist because I realized that I hadn't shot it in years and um, I have gone just to a very basic Canon power shot Uh, the current model I have is in the SD850 IS it's a digital elf it's one of their small decacard size cameras 8 megapixel and um, the reason I've, I've gone with that is just I'm pretty much a firm believer of the the best camera for taking pictures is the one that you'll actually take with you. And for the type of photography that I do, which is pretty much social events with friends and family um, and occasional outings, I don't want to lug a uh, a digital SLR around with me all the time. I won't lug it around with me all the time. I've had some larger cameras before and they end up staying at home and then I end up with no photos. So um, at the point in time that I have kids, I'm really looking forward to getting a digital SLR. I'm looking forward to all the gear that comes with kids, all the gadgets. But um, for now, the, the little... The little point-and-shoot works great for me, and I'm, I'm taking some of those tips that I learned from my old photography years, and uh, such as you know get close to your subject and then take a few steps to get even closer. Um, and I'm, I'm turning him into some pretty good pictures. Yeah, you know, I use the, the iPhone camera quite a bit, I, especially the new iPhone 4. The, it takes really good pictures. So I kind of feel like I have the best of both worlds because I always have that camera with me, which is great for little snapshots as well. But I do like getting the SLR out and, and framing a picture and, and getting just a really nice look. It's it's really fun because uh, a lot of friends I have, I've taken pictures of their kids. And it's really, I get a lot of pleasure out of knowing that people, you know, value the pictures I take of their family or of their children. Every year at Christmas, um, I have a lot of relatives that show up on my doorstep with their kids dressed really nicely saying, hey, we're here today for our Christmas card. <laughs> and uh it's a lot of fun, you know, taking those pictures. And once again, it's that that nifty 50 millimeter lens. If you do have an SLR, you'll know what I mean. You get that 50 millimeter with a low aperture and you will take amazing pictures. That's um, one of my great memories. I, I have so many great childhood memories. In um, My mom had a, um, which was fairly uncommon, you know, but most of my friends' moms had these, you know, point and shoot, you know, whatever type of cameras that you would see. And my mom actually had a Minolta 
you know, SLR camera. And, and we always had really great, not that my mom was a professional photographer by any means. Um, but she loved this big camera around when we were kids everywhere. And we always had just photo albums and photo albums of really great pictures versus snapshots. So that was always something that was very important to her growing up. So I think it's, it's something that will be very important to me when I get to that stage in my life. Yeah. One of the things I could say about this is there's kind of a myth about these megapixels. I guess it's a marketing thing that everybody wants to know how many megapixels does your camera have? And that's really not the best measure. I mean, there's so many megapixels now in most of these cameras that you'll never use. I mean, it's great if you want to blow up a picture, you know, the size of a poster or something, but how often do we do that? Uh, There's a lot of other ways to measure a camera. Like how does it perform indoors with low light? I think that's much more relevant and I don't want to get into all of that today, but um, when you do go buy a camera, don't just look at the megapixels. And I don't think that's really as much as I really want to say about how to take pictures because I certainly am not an expert, but I can point you to a few. We're going to put them in the show notes. Uh, Victor Cahiao's um, typical photography uh, podcast is a really good one. Typical Shutterbug. Yeah, I'm sorry. Typical Shutterbug. That's right. And um, and then there's This Week in Photography, which is another bunch of Mac geeks put that together. Um, and there's one I really like is Derek Story, who's a, an amazing photographer. He teaches every year at Macworld, and he has a podcast and website. Uh, and uh, there's also a site called Mac Create that just really focuses a lot on Aperture. So we're going to put all those in the show notes. And if you're interested in these subjects, go listen and read those guys, and you will learn a lot. Okay, so we're going to, uh, I guess, get down into our iPhoto versus Aperture Smackdown, if we're going to call that that in a few minutes. Uh, But first, I do want to take a break and uh, talk about one of our sponsors, which I think is appropriate for this show, and that is Disc Label, made by our friends over at Smile on My Mac. So you've got all these these great photos in your photo library and uh, all these photos you've taken on your summer vacation, on your various trips, and you want to do something with them. Um, So you burn them to CD. But it's, yeah, it's kind of tacky. If you got the CD that you want to give with to grandma and then you, you write on it with a, a black Sharpie pen and you say, you know, photos from the beach, here you go. Um, disc label is thirty five ninety five, and it is one of the most intuitive programs I've ever used for making quick, easy, and gorgeous uh, disc labels, CD covers, jewel cases, inserts, DVD covers, pretty much anything you want related to discs and labels and covers that just have this very professional edge to them. Um, it also will work if you happen to have one of those third-party LightScribe uh, CD or DVD burners. Their software is compatible with that as well. Uh, so basically what you do with disc label is you can load up one of their mini templates and they've got about a gazillion different um, uh, templates that you can use, any, anything from uh, party-themed to, um, you know, more, more neutral or natural colors. Uh, and you can even bring in your own photos or your own patterns uh, to put on the, the disc. You can label them with photos. You can label them with information from your iTunes library. You can label them with chapters from DVD it integrates perfectly with all of the Apple's iApps, and it is just so simple to use. 
Yeah, it's a great product for putting labels on your discs. I agree with you. The magic marker thing on the disc is is no way to go after you've got these great pictures. You want to give it the right look, whether you're doing it professionally or just with your family and friends. Uh, for 36 bucks, you've got all the clip art and all the applications you need. You just load it up, make your choices, put in your titles or whatever, and print it out. It's really the finishing touch that that makes the difference. It's the presentation. It's that last step that, that really makes it to a nice finished product. I um, had a friend of mine recently who bought one of these uh, disc printers and it will, it will work with all of these printers. You can either print directly to a label machine or you can print directly to a label that you stick into your printer, or it will also work with, um, like I said, the third party devices like the light scribe devices or with uh, printers that print directly on the labels. And of course, this third-party printer came with its own software that it wanted you to use, and it was an absolute nightmare. Um, and I said, "Well, why don't we just download the demo version of this and give it a try?" And it, you know, we Don McAllister does a great screencast on disc label, but we didn't even read the manual or do the tutorials or anything like that. It was just drag and drop, simple, boom, 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 label created. So, yeah. In fact, we'll put the go ahead and put the Don McAllister link in the show notes. But you can go ahead and download a free trial. It's 36 bucks. Uh, Smile My Mac has a 90-day money-back guarantee if it doesn't work for you. But uh, if you're putting together a lot of pictures or your own custom CDs, this is the way to go. Disc label, which you can find at smileonmymac.com. And I wanted to thank, once again, Smile on My Mac for sponsoring the show. So let's talk about iPhoto and Aperture. I wouldn't really call it a smackdown. I, I have no. a warm place in my heart for iPhoto as well, but... For some reasons I'll explain later, I went up to Aperture. Uh, but you're the iPhoto uh, pro between the two of us right now. So let's talk a little bit about how you use iPhoto. Yeah, I've used iPhoto for years. I've used iPhoto ever since it, it came out. And um, it's always worked for me. I think iPhoto is is an app that a lot of people have struggled with because they've always wanted it to do more. Um, and I've always found that it's it's really, if, if you just use it like, Steve says you should use it. It works really well. Um, and it works well for me. I am not a power photo user. I've got about 4,000 photos in my iPhoto library right now. So, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Obviously, if you're dealing with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of photos, you're, you're probably going to have other issues. But, you know, iPhoto, especially with the the newer versions, is much more optimized for handling larger photo libraries. But for me, organization in in dealing and keeping up with all my photos and having them in multiple places all over my Mac was was really a chore. And iPhoto takes care of a lot of that for me. Um, I use a lot of the features within iPhoto just to manage it. Um, I try to label everything as they come into iPhoto. I try to be very um, good about creating events and creating albums right then and there. And then once I've got a bunch of albums created, I try to go in and I try to create folders and stick things in those albums. Um, A lot of people don't like the fact that it's sometimes hard to get content out of iPhoto. I haven't found that to be so much of a problem because, you know, just about anything you can drag and drop out of iPhoto into the finder for sharing and a lot of developers now are building in iPhoto compatibility, like Smile on My Mac that we talked about. You know, you can drag and drop in anything from your iPhoto library. I was just using a uh, a tool recently, iSale, to uh, post items to eBay. 
and you can drag and drop in this iLife media browser and pull things into iPhoto. So yeah, you know, another app that we covered hazel does the same thing. You can, you can create a hazel script to take photos off of a folder on your desktop and import them into iPhoto. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think iPhoto functionality is being built into a lot more of, uh, different applications. Um, and then photo editing. A lot of people say, well, I can never use iPhoto because the photo editing is, is horrible. Well, the built-in photo editor has gotten a lot better and it's, it's great for simple crops. It's great for straightening photos. It's, you know, pretty good for red eye reduction and, and, you know, some balancing and things, but you know, there, there's an option within iPhoto that you can set it up to open your iPhoto photos in an external editor. And for me, I've got it set to open up in Photoshop elements. So anytime, you know, I want to do any kind of major editing to a photo, I don't really even have to leave the iPhoto infrastructure. It just opens it up in Photoshop elements and save it's back out. You know, it's still edited and saved in my iPhoto library. So it works really well for me. And, you know, with all of the improvements, especially with the sharing, it, it just seems to get better and better. And it's, it's a hub for all the iApps. So I like well, iPhoto. Now we got some email from listeners in anticipation of this show that we're asking about the idea of this consolidated library. I think it makes a lot of people nervous. The idea It does because all your stuff is in one place. Yeah, so you import your photos and then they create this library. And if you look at it in the finder, it is just says iPhoto library. You don't even know what's in there. And uh, uh, So, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. If you go into your, your users folder of your computer and you go into your pictures folder, um, you may have some other things that were created in there by various applications. For example, I've got a an iChat uh, folder in there and I've got a photo booth folder and I've got a sketch folder, but I've also got an iPhoto library. And it it looks like it's one file, but what it really is is this big, big package folder, which uh, happens to be uh, 12.6 gigabytes on my disk. So if I right-click on it and show package contents, what I'm going to see in there is uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But where most of my photos are is there is a series of, of folders, in my case, that are arranged by year. For example, if we go, uh, let's see, into, there's a folder called Modified, and I've got photos going into uh, 2010. I've got uh, folders with a bunch of dates in them. And I can go into those folders. And that's where the original photos actually live. You can see the original photos in the modified version. Because, of course, in iPhoto, um, you can always click on a photo and go back and revert it to its original if you've modified it. Which I think is a nice feature so that you never lose it. Of course, you eat up more hard drive space. But, you know, hard drive space is cheap these days. But... I don't even mess with that. I never open this package folder because anytime I ever need to do anything with an individual file that I can't do with an iPhoto, I just pull the photo out of iPhoto temporarily, stick it on my desktop or stick it in a working folder, you know, do whatever it is I need to do with it and then stick it back in. Another thing about iPhoto is that it keeps the original file. Every time you make a modification, at least as last time I checked, it creates a new copy of the, the image. So uh, if you have a large image and you make five different versions, you're going to have five different images, which is uh, starts to chew up a lot of space depending on how many edits you're making. Uh, but I would agree with you. I think iPhoto is a, a great app. I think they've come a long way even with their, their edit abilities. Although I use Aperture, everybody else in my house uses iPhoto, my daughter and my wife. 
and you know they have a way to deal with shadows and highlights. They they've got some tools in there that used to be exclusively in pretty expensive uh, photo applications. So it seems to be just getting better all the time. And I am completely comfortable with having all the uh, the images in this one central database. In fact, I find it kind of nice with uh, my wife and children's computers because then I can back them up real easily. Well, and it is getting backed up. And it's, I have, and perhaps I'm wrong, but I have never heard of an instance of that that package, because that package folder is really just a big folder. It's I've never heard of an instance of that entire package getting corrupted and corrupting an entire iPhoto library. Yeah. Also, I believe that Time Machine um, has the secret sauce to, oh, yeah. to back those up incrementally, which is nice. But, you know, so in addition to... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So in addition to backing up a time machine, though, one of the things I do, because pictures are so important, you don't ever want to lose the pictures, so you always want to have extra backups of those, uh, is I'll just drag that iPhoto library onto an external hard drive and unplug it, and then I can stick it in a drawer, and then I've got their iPhoto libraries backed up a second time. So it, it's really, the, having them in that one place makes the backup process just stupid easy. You know, it's very, no, there's no headway at all. You just plug it in, copy it over, and then you've backed it up. Right. Now, are you running your iPhoto library off of your internal hard Oh, you're, I know you're not, but um, your family, are they running it off of their internal hard drive or are they running it off of an external drive? Yeah, they're all... we, had, we had someone uh, write in and ask about speed and performance when running it off the Drobo. Uh, I can talk about that with respect to Aperture. Uh, on okay. The iPhoto libraries, they're all on the, on the internal hard drives. Okay. Um, you know, obviously the the big problem with iPhoto that Apple has really yet to address well, and they've yet to address this well with any of their iApps, um, is the sharing. Because what we all want is we all want there to be the central repository for all of these photos. We want anybody to be able to access them, but yet we all want to be able to have our own photos that we want to put in, take out, come and go, and but yet I'll be able to access them at the same time without worrying about messing up everybody else's stuff. And that seems to have to be what's been very difficult. Um, you know, the, the one solution that I can find to this, of course, it's a very expensive solution. We talked about on one of our future shows, it's kind of like the, either the Mac mini server and the not Mac mini actual server, but the Mac mini acting as a server or a central computer in the house that's acting as a server that kind of becomes the home iPhoto library where you just agree that everybody in the house is going to dump into one iPhoto library. Uh, and that's the case. Um, iPhoto, in the preferences, very similar to iTunes, um, has sharing preferences where if you've got one central library, everybody can you can share photos from that library and everybody can look for shared photos and you can share specific albums or you can bring in specific albums um, and you can actually, not only can you view these albums on remote machines, but you can actually copy the albums over to the remote machines, which, you know, can take some time depending on the size of the albums and, and what kind of network connection you're on. But I've, I've set this up with my mom and dad and, and their home connection and had them share photos back and forth with each other. And it, it seems to work fairly well for them. I think it would work even better if you had one dedicated machine that was kind of the central server for it. Um, there is another option where you could put your entire family iPhoto library 
on a separate shared hard drive or on a separate shared sparse image of a hard drive. But at that point, you are all accessing, you know, one individual library and you're going to run into some problems if you're trying to access it at the same time. So we'll put, well, also we'll put with- a link into the show notes of a, uh, a support document that Apple has with instructions detailing how to do that. And the other issue with that is if it's going to be a wireless server, uh, image files can get pretty big, especially if you start shooting raw. So uh, you're going to have a noticeable lag. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I don't think the problem is as bad as everyone puts it. I mean, in some ways there is sharing built in. They just don't really have a server type solution and they should have one. But with pictures, it, it seems to me in the, in the typical family situation, it's generally okay. I don't think it's it's unusable as it is to be able to share libraries. At least that's there. Uh, well, what is nice your solution we, within your family? Because you're not only sharing within the family, but you're sharing within iPhoto and Aperture. Well, you know, I, I'm anal retentive with my backup well, we strategies. Yeah. So I told them if there's any pictures that you absolutely never want to lose, put them on my Aperture library or, you know, just leave them on a the folder on my desktop. And, you know, my daughter and does Hazel will take care of it. Yeah, no, I, I, do, I do it manually, but, oh, okay. you know, my desktop's pretty clean, so if I see a folder on there that says, Dad, save these, then I'll put them in the Aperture library. And I can also just pull them off their iPhoto library if I want to, but uh, everybody kind of has their own libraries, generally, uh, but all the family stuff goes on. I have an iMac at home, and that's kind of a family computer, and all the, you know, my wife puts all the family pictures on there, but if she takes pictures of her friends for a luncheon or something, she'll just put it in her iPhoto library. And it generally works because I'm backing those computers up too. Uh, it's not, we don't have like one, we don't have one library to rule them all, you know, but it, the system we have kind of works. Frankly, I don't want uh, a bunch of pictures that my wife took of greeting cards in my aperture library. <laughs> you know, right. I don't need those there. So well, no, if she wants but to I keep mean, them, then she's welcome to, but I don't want to put them in my library. So it works. You got the, the photos of the, um, a Sparks Disney extravaganza and um, you know, your wife wants them and you want them and maybe one of your daughters wants them, you know, how do those photos get passed around? Well, when we go to somewhere like we're going to go on our vacation. So uh, when we get back from the vacation or even during the vacation, I will grab everyone's memory stick and get all those pictures. Okay. And then they'll go in my library and if they want to put them in theirs, that's fine as well. But I know I'll have a, a backed up copy of them. Okay. So dad is the library to rule them all. Yeah, that's true. My dad is the library that we know is backed up more times than is rational. Okay. As long as you know that going in. <laughs> I accept that. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Aperture. Uh, yeah. I So I got the fancy camera, you know, so I'm thinking that I'm, you know, a photographer. I started taking pictures of things like flowers and ladybugs. So that must have meant I became a photographer. And and I started to bump into Aperture's limits. So when you've got a nice camera, it shoots raw. You know, that's kind of neat. You know, you're able to get your pictures, uh, you know, in a format that is much easier to edit. Raw, you know, to give a very brief description, because I know I, I swore I wasn't going to get into a lot of this stuff. But when you take a picture on a point-and-shoot camera, the sensor sees a lot of information. That's data coming into that light sensor. And it captures all this data. And the first thing that a computer on your 
uh, camera does, because there's a little computer in there, is it takes all that and compresses it down to a smaller size. And in doing that, it is going to pull out stuff it needs. You know, like if there's stuff that it think is black, it's just going to turn it black because that's a bunch of zeros. It's a lot easier to keep that data than if there's any uh, other data seen in those shadows. So you're going to lose some of the definition and some of the depth of your pictures immediately when you snap that picture. You'll never get that back. There's no way to recover it. And once it's smashed out, you can't you know put the toothpaste back in the tube. You with me? Toothpaste, tube, okay. data, out, smash, yes. Okay, great. So uh, RAW is a format where it captures all the information the sensor says the sensor the sensor has and doesn't compress anything it keeps all of that data so these files are you know multiple sizes of the compressed jpeg image so the the end result is you can't take as many pictures on a small memory card but once you get it on your computer there's a lot more information for the software to work with so i found that putting raw images into iphoto in fact i'm not sure if i even could put raw images into iphoto now i think about it well, it was, I was running into a yeah, wall. You, well, you couldn't probably then, but you can now. Okay. So I decided, you know, I want to step it up, you know. And at that point, Aperture was the only step up. That was This is before Lightroom came out. And it was $300 at the time, and I didn't have $300 to spend on it, you know. So I just started watching for deals. And this is about the time that CompUSA in California went out of business. I don't know if they're national or not, but they were a big computer chain here. And once they started going out of business, they started marking stuff down and they had a little Apple section and there was one near my office. So I would go in there at lunch when they started their going out of business sale and I saw they had a copy of Aperture and it was marked from 300 to 250. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. So I, I started going back every couple of days and that lone Aperture box stood there for two weeks and after two weeks, it got down to like 120 bucks. And I said, That's okay, so I'm so lonely. Yeah, so then I'm I, surprised you didn't wait longer. Yeah, well, it, you know, I figured that was I, I was willing to pay that, and so it was a good deal. And I didn't know how much longer they were going to keep marking stuff down, so I, I went ahead and bought it. And I've really, really uh, enjoyed that purchase. It's a great product. Uh, Aperture is really good for people that shoot in RAW because it's got a bunch of tools in there that allow you to really make your pictures look fantastic. It's a um it's a product that's really made for professional photographers to manage lots of pictures. I think that's the way that was their initial selling point. Cause they knew they couldn't compete with Photoshop because Photoshop can do anything to a picture. It seems like, but you know, it was kind of a niche product because it was supposed to manage these pictures. But, but the, what Apple has done over time is also add some really nice editing tools to the mix. And I've kind of grown up with those editing tools as they've added them. I've learned them as they've come in and now I've got to a point where I do almost all of my editing in Aperture. I, I don't own Photoshop, and uh, I'm perfectly fine with that. So uh, now Aperture is down to $200 if you buy it new. And they just came out with a new version uh, this past uh, February. In fact, right at Macworld, they came out with a new version. It was kind of funny. I was talking to Derek Story, who was doing sessions on um, on Aperture at Macworld. He did like a two- or three-day session on Aperture. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah, well, I was talking to him the the night before Macworld started, and you know I'm a big fan of his, so I went up to meet him, and I said, "Boy, I bet you're glad that 
they get in and come out with the update, you know, because he had planned this three day session. He says, Oh yeah, I didn't know if they were going to or not. And then the next morning, you know, when he's got people showing up for this class, Apple releases the new aperture update. <laughs> well, that's okay because it didn't work at the time. So it was fine. <laughs> well, anyway, so, so I'm using aperture. I, you know, we could get into that about that whole upgrade fiasco, but anyway, it works now. I'm, I'm happy with it, but uh, so before I get talking about the specific ways I use Aperture, I thought I'd talk a little bit about Aperture versus iPhoto and Aperture versus Lightroom, because Adobe now does have a competing product with it called called Lightroom. So now, didn't with respect, Lightroom come out first? Am I am I getting that backwards? I thought Lightroom came out I'm, first. I'm pretty sure that Aperture came out first. If if it was out when I bought Aperture, it was completely off my radar. Okay. So I'll, I'll look into that. But before I go, uh, Aperture is really a nice upgrade for power iPhoto users. You know, it gives you the ability to really manipulate the raw uh, images with a non-destructive method. I mean, you can go through and make changes to the photo and it uses that original uh, data file and then it applies images, it applies changes to it kind of like layers. And when I say the word layers, I know I'm going to get an email saying how wrong I am because it's not like layers in Lightroom, but it, it really applies that metadata to allow you to make changes and see how they look without making multiple, you know, mega megabyte size images and copies like iPhoto does. I think Aperture has better file management because, you know, it's made for pros. So there's a lot of different tools you can use to manage those files. Um, it allows you to v- manage video files. Now you can put your video clips in there, which is really nice as I'm using all of these uh, videos on my flip recorder and now on my iPhone four. And another thing that it does that I'll talk about in a little more detail later is it allows you to apply local adjustments. You can pick one section of the screen and fix it. Whereas an iPhoto generally you're working kind of with the whole image, except right. it, except for the, except for the blemishes it, it fixes those locally. So that's really nice. Um, then there's another product called Lightroom by Adobe, and I believe that is also $200. Or is it, you know, uh, that may be $300. I should have known that before we started recording. But uh, that's Adobe's kind of response to Lightroom, as I understood it. Um, uh, Adobe Lightroom works really well if you're a Photoshop user because it integrates everything. They have a different workflow than than Aperture does, but it, I know some people really love it. Um, Aperture is more integrated with the Apple OS. You know, it has faces and places like iPhoto does. And, you know, when you have any menu in Mac OS 10 that says, you know, would you like to add an iPhoto picture? Almost all of them also recognize the Aperture library, including iTunes. You know, when you're loading up pictures on your, your iPhone or your iPad, it's nice. You can just pull over specific Aperture uh, libraries. Yeah, it's one of the things I've heard is that Aperture, although it's always had more advanced capabilities, has not always necessarily had some of the more consumer-friendly capabilities that iPhoto has been having, like the flicker sharing and the syncing, and it, it seems to have been getting that more in the recent updates. Yeah, it seems that Aperture kind of leads the way with some more powerful editing tools, um, and then those seem to follow with iPhoto, where iPhoto leads the way with kind of the like the faces and the places and some of the other stuff and aperture seems to follow. I'm sure the teams are communicating with each other on that. Yeah, I hope so. So I think now we've covered, 
Aperture and iPhoto, I think the next topic would be how do we import pictures into our Mac. But before we do so, let's talk about our sponsor, 1Password. Yeah, we talked um, about the new Dropbox sync with 1Password last week, David. I think you've got some updates for that for us. Yeah, initially it appeared that it only worked with the 1Password Pro version. I, I wrote a blog post on it and was quickly corrected that no, indeed, it's going to be coming for all of the 1Password versions on the iPhone and iPad. So Yay! Uh, if you, yeah, if you've already got it, you don't need to upgrade for that feature. But it's still uh, I, a good upgrade. Yeah, yeah, I really like the uh, I really like the feature though. I've in, I've implemented it on my iPhone and in my iPad, and it's really comforting knowing that these these uh, new passwords or whatever I'm putting information I'm putting can sync immediately, and I know I have access to it. I'm about to go on vacation, and I put some information in there about different pieces of what we're doing, and and now I don't have to worry about whether or not knowing whether or not it's going to get on the iPad. So it's great; it's already there. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about with 1Password is is one of my favorite features on the Mac that I haven't utilized all that much, but I, I, I'm trying to, to get into using new features on 1Password, and it is a go-and-fill pop-up feature on 1Password. So we're getting to the point where I literally have hundreds of passwords stored in 1Passwords and hundreds of bookmarks, you know, stored that I need to access various passwords for. So I'm, you know, I'm going into my bookmarks menu. I'm going to find my bookmark. I'm going to the site where I'm going, and then I'm going up to my menu, and I'm going to One Password, and I'm, you know, clicking, and it's filling in my One Password. And this is great because this is so many fewer steps than actually having to fill in a password, and worse yet, having to fill in an unsecured password because it's a password that I have to be able to remember without One Password. Um, but the go and fill is a keyboard command that you can uh, customize. And what is mine? Mine is uh, option control command backslash. It's just kind of become muscle memory. And it will pop up a little heads up display. And for example, I have a couple of different Google logins. So I just type in Goog, G-O-O-G, and it will pop up a display with all my Google logins. So I scroll down with the arrow key to the one I want, or I can just type Goog in the first couple letters of the login, and it will type, it will come up with the exact one that I want. Uh, and I, I click the return key, and regardless of where I am in Safari or Firefox or any of the, the browsers that 1Password supports, it will immediately pop me not only to the page that I want to go to, but it will log me in. So you can use this with any of your 1Password logins that you have saved within 1Password. So it kind of reminds me of a lot of, of like LaunchBar. So it's I'm using it a lot like I use LaunchBar in the Finder. It's, it's kind of like LaunchBar for the web browser, if that makes sense, except it not only does it launch my bookmarks, but it also logs me in too. And one password does such a great job of coming up with these features to to remove the barrier of entry between using a secure password and the convenience of being able to get to the websites you want. This is just another uh, way you can see that you know it's worry free. Uh, your data never leaves your computer if unless you want to sync it up to the Dropbox or some of these other solutions. Uh, strong encryption keeps your data safe. I can't uh, imagine using my Mac without one password at this point. Uh, you can find 1Password as well as links to all of their various iApps over at their website, onepassword.com. And thank you again to 1Password for their support of Mac Power users. 
Okay, so now we're going to talk about importing images. Okay. Now, I want to step back and I want to go analog for a minute here, okay? Okay. So, this is something that I, I used to do, and I wish I had more time with it, but I, I kind of got involved in a family project a couple of years ago because we had a, a couple of big anniversaries come up. My my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, my parents' 25th wedding anniversary. We had just a bunch of of family events come up within like a two or three year span. And I found myself constantly making these, uh, you know, photo video montages because you made one for one event and then everybody wanted you to make one for all of their events. And I think I spent the better part of two years of my life um, scanning in old family photos and old family slides. And one of my biggest regrets, and I don't know why I did it other than it was it was short-sightedness and lack of hard drive space is that some of those photos I scanned in at just, you know, simple screen resolution, I think a hundred DPI because I just wanted to get them in. Um, fortunately, by the time I made the second movie, I had enough sense to scan them in at higher resolution so that I could keep these photos and make prints of them. Um, but, you know, scanning in photos to, to build your library is a, is a very time consuming project. But so many of our memories, especially of our childhood and of our parents' childhood and of our grandparents' childhood, even if you're fortunate enough to have access to those memories, um, are really, you know, sitting in a box decaying. And there's, there's no time like the present to go get those and get them scanned because there's, they're, they're not going to do anything but deteriorate. So, um, when you're thinking about your digital photo workflows, don't, don't think about the photos that you're taking now, but you know, think a little bit about the photos that that have already been taken and how you can incorporate those into your digital life because you do have to take that extra step of of getting them incorporated. But I think I think it's well worth it because once they're in, they're in. And uh, I'll put a link into the show notes. But I was reading an article in MacWorld magazine. I think it was a couple of months ago, but I found the link online and stuck it in there uh, about you know obviously you can do this yourself. Um, but it is very time consuming. There are a number of um, photo import services where you can, you know, depending on your comfort level, uh, pack up your photos, pack up your slides, and uh, they'll scan them for you and ship them back to you along with a CD or, or a, a couple of DVDs. And uh, you can import them straight away. So um, anyway, something to, to consider adding a little analog option to your digital workflow. I can give some testimony to that. I, uh, my mother turned 80 last year and we had a big party for her and I wanted to make a slideshow and I thought that was a good opportunity to go through the family pictures. Okay. And they were all falling apart, just like you said. And we had boxes and boxes of snapshots taken over the years and most of them were pretty lousy, but there were some really good ones in there too. And I culled it down to 500 pictures and I was going to pay my daughter to, to scan them. And she's a really smart young lady. And, but I looked at the quality and they weren't very good. And we just don't have a very good scanner. And also she's busy. And I was thinking it's going to take so much time. I don't think we're going to be able to get it done. And then I started looking to these online services. And I ended up going with one in New Jersey. I don't remember their name right now. And I don't really want to give them an endorsement because I only used them once. But they did a great job. It was $100 for 500 pictures. Oh my God. I mailed them out there. They mailed them back to me. I got my original pictures back just fine. Uh, they used high quality scanners. I think it was something like 600 DPI. 
So I've got these these really old pictures that are failing now. I've got 500 of them uh, scanned that you know my grandkids will be able to to have the exact same quality that I do now. Of course, they'll be laughing because they're not you know um, 3D. three-dimensional and you know talking or whatever. <laughs> the rage hologram exactly. Where's the hologram, grandma? Yeah, but uh, either way, it was really a great service. It took like I think I had them back in a week. Oh, wow. And uh, I was really pleased with the result. And I would recommend looking into those services if you've got a nice big chunk. And the other nice thing is, you know, I got all the discs. I have three siblings and then we have other relatives. So as soon as I got the the disc back from the scanning service, I made like 10 copies of it and just, you know, put it out to the four winds. So then after I'm dead and gone, if somebody wants to see those pictures, since there's 10 sets of them out there, I think there's a much higher likelihood that somebody will have kept them. Well, that and you've got them on your 43 backups that are circulating. Yeah. Yes. So it, that's actually a good, I'm glad you added the outline because I think it's a, it's a really good thing to look into if you've got some pictures that, that need to get scanned. Hmm. All right. So assuming that you're not scanning the photos or that you've, you've got them otherwise, then what's the next step to getting them in? Well, we talked about getting pictures into your computer or on the road. You know, how do you deal oh, with yeah. uh, these pictures you're taking uh, when you're out and about, you know, having on vacation, having a good time? Uh, one of the easiest ways is bring your laptop and, you know, save Plug them right there. You know, uh, they also have devices that are like a hard drive with a memory stick reader built in. And you can just attach the memory stick and it'll slurp them down, which is kind of neat. Uh, that always made me a little nervous because you couldn't see them. Um, you know, you just you just have to take it on faith that those 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 images are getting copied over. Some of them have little LCD screens. Oh, do they? I, I've always felt that it's if if at all possible, um, have enough memory sticks that you don't have to erase any memory sticks when you're on the road, and that way that's kind of a built-in backup system. If at all possible, I'm shooting raw. I end up deleting memory sticks while I'm gone because I just take too many pictures. Um, now you had a trip to Europe and you did something Mm -hmm. interesting. Tell us about that. Yeah. I went on one of those 16 day European tours, uh, where you were on the bus for 16 days and saw a little bit of everything and, um, decided for whatever reason not to take my laptop because I was very worried about, you know, on the bus, off the bus in different hotels every night that something would happen to it. And, um, you know, didn't think I would have really great connectivity anyway. Would have been the perfect opportunity for an iPad, but of course, didn't have it at the time. Um, and this was about five years ago. So at that point, I had a four megapixel camera. So the file sizes, which was very high end at the time, the file sizes were smaller. Uh, and I also had a, I want to say it was a 30 gig, it might have been a 60 gig iPod. Uh, which again was pretty big for the time. I think it was the biggest iPod you could get at the time. And um, I had the iPod connection kit, which is very similar to the current iPad connection kit that's out there. Um, I got a couple of of um, SD cards, but you know, at that time, SD cards were you know closer to seventy five to one hundred bucks than they were. I think now, you know, you know twenty or thirty bucks. So I you know didn't want to get out and by four or five of them. So um, I offloaded them to my iPod and it, it worked very, very well. So I use the, the cards as long as I can. Um, 
and I, I loaded them up. And then every night when we got back to the hotel room, I uh, uploaded them to the iPod. And then if I still had room on the card and I didn't have to erase it, I didn't erase it. So I came home with with full cards plus all of the uh, the photos on the iPod. And fortunately, nothing happened to the cards, so the cards were fine. And I ended up not taking as many pictures as I thought I would. So, or I, I cleared off the bad pictures at night so that I, I had room on the cards. So uh, I ended up not having to erase any good pictures off the card. But it worked very well. I was able to offload my, my pictures and still be confident that I had a backup. And then, you know, synced them up to my computer when I got home. Yeah, I'm I'm looking to do exactly that thing next week. I'm heading up to Seattle in British Columbia. And uh, I am despite the fact that I'm in the midst of a huge writing project and I'm trying to keep Max Sparky going and all the other stuff I'm doing, I'm thinking I'm just going to take my iPad and do it. And I'm uh, just going to leave the laptop at home. And for pictures, I think that the, the iPad camera connection is just aces. I mean, that thing's great. You plug it into the SLR. It pulls the pictures out of it. It allows you to see a nice big version of the pictures because I'm one of the things I am when I sort through pictures is I'm completely brutal about pictures. I, I delete, you know, four for every one I keep. Uh, I like to shoot a lot of pictures, but I also realize that, you know, you really don't need 12 pictures from the same angle. Just pick the good one. So, uh, that's going to be great. I'll be able to upload them to the iPad, kind of do the initial sort and delete the bad ones there. And when I come home, I'll be able to put it in aperture and do the rest of the work. All right, so let's assume that you're not on the road and you've got the photos. Does that change? You're still going to do the initial sort on your Mac? or uh, So far, I've been doing them on the iPad because I just love the idea of sitting on the couch and looking through the pictures. Okay, well, um, that's just because it's the new tool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case or not. Um, I know that when I take pictures at family events, it's really everybody gets a kick out of seeing the pictures. It's like the old days when you had the Polaroid, you know, and you handed the Polaroids around. The iPad's kind of like that because you put the pictures on it and they're nice and big. So anybody, even people with vision impairment, can see um, a good version of this picture and they can swipe it. And so it's been fun to pass it around the room. Uh, So at this point, I'm still using the iPad. But if I'm not using the iPad, what I do is I just hook the stick up to the iMac and import them into Aperture. Uh, No matter how I do it, whether it's from the stick or from the iPad, the process is just the same. I have a folder an aperture called to sort. And I just put everything that needs to be sorted into that. And, um, then I go through and go through it again and maybe even find more. I want to delete. And then I start putting them into project folders or I I sort them kind of by month and date. I have a folder for each year. Then underneath it, I have, um, events coded by year and date. So I would have 2010 hyphen zero eight. So that's August of 2010, you know, a BC trip for the British Columbia trip. And then I'll put the pictures in there Then I may have sub uh, folders in there as well, but that works just fine. And it makes it easy for me to transfer them over to the iPad or iPhone or the Apple TV later. How about you? Um, you know, mine's not that dissimilar. I don't think it's quite that organized, but uh, I'm just throwing them into iPhoto. I, I make a very conscious effort to try to keep them organized by event. And then if I've got events that span over multiple days, you know, before I leave iPhoto after the import, you know, I'll bridge the events together. So most of my organization is done within events. And then usually um, I will create albums right off the bat. So 
for most of the time when I import photos, unless it's photos that, you know, I'm planning to use and then get rid of, most of those photos will fairly quickly go into an album. And then once they go into an album, I, I try to be fairly conscious of at least getting a few keywords, a few labels, something thrown in there so that I'll be able to find them. Um, yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. Quickly. I don't bother with keywords or labels because I've got them organized into a folder, you know, with the event name and I del- I don't keep that many anyway. So that's close enough for me. Although I am starting to play with faces and places. Uh, have you used the, either of those yeah. two features? I have. I don't think it works as well as everybody says it works though. Yeah. It seems to hang up on me with aperture too. sometimes assigning places to photos. I've had a couple crashes doing that, but my library is huge. I think there's like 20,000 pictures or something in it. And, uh, but one trick I learned, uh, I think Don McAllister did it on one of his screencasts is when you go somewhere, if you don't have GPS built into your pictures already, just take a picture with your iPhone and it saves the GPS location coordinates. So then you import that into your iPhoto or your aperture library and that gives you the exact coordinates of where generally you took the pictures and then you can assign them all to duplicate that that over. Yeah. Yeah. Or in in aperture, you just literally drag them onto the pin and it assigns that location to all of them. So, um, that's a neat trick. Uh, It doesn't give you that granular, you know, where is the two feet square, square feet that he took the picture, but it gives you the general idea and that's usually good enough. I'm really intrigued about places. Um, not enough to go out and buy a new camera because I, of course, bought a new camera fairly recently after places came out. But enough that the next time I'm ready to buy a new camera, one of the requirements will be that it has built-in GPS. And they make a GPS tracker little, you know, little dongle devices that will track you, and you can sync those in yeah. aperture. Yeah, I have it one. Just seems like a pain. I have one, and I've played with it, but. I still find myself using Don's trick more often than not. Yeah. And then I've looked at those iFi cards and I'm sure that will get you in the ballpark more often than not, but I don't know. Okay. What do you do about managing the files in the library? I guess you talked a little bit in iPhoto, how you copy them out into the finder. If I need to, but I don't need to very often. In Aperture, there's a nice feature that allows you to export. You can export versions, which is kind of a copy and you can adjust those versions. You want it like half the size of the original? Do you want it in JPEG? So it allows oh, you. Oh, well, to, you, can, you can export with an iPhoto yeah. as well, but. And then you can also yeah. export in Aperture of the Masters and, and, and you can export the projects as well. And this is really nice for me because I've got a laptop with an SSD drive that cannot hold my whole Aperture library, but the laptop is strong enough to run Aperture and do some edits. So usually what I'll do is a project in Aperture that I want to work on, I'll export that project and I'll put it on the laptop. So if I want to sit downstairs with the family and fix the pictures, I can do it on the laptop and then put the, the uh, project back into Aperture, the main library upstairs and everything's kosher. Nice feature. Okay, let's talk about image editing. Um, it's probably more Aperture than iPhoto. Yeah. It, Aperture has some really robust image edits. Although I would disagree to a certain extent, a lot of this stuff is also in iPhoto these days. Yeah, um, that's true. In Aperture, they've got a nice way so you can see the image on the full screen. And on a 24 iMac, it looks beautiful. You know, it's just yeah. great, you know, having that big picture up, especially when you're shooting with, uh, you know, shooting raw and you've got these huge files. Um, one of the things that you need to, that any image editor needs to have is a white balance. It's the first thing I always do is get the balance set right. You know, you have to pick the gray area and it's got a dropper in aperture so you can get the color or the temperature right. 
Uh, it's got exposure control, which iPhoto also has. So you, if you've got the picture underexposed or overexposed, you can throw a slider to try and kind of do a rough fix of that. Um, Aperture has brushes and retouches, which are really nice. Uh, you know, you can take care of skin blemishes and they have one, they have a new uh, brush or a filter called skin softener, which is great. It, you know, it helps take the wrinkles out and it, <laughs> it does a great job. I mean, it looks professional. I mean, you know, getting back to my discussion earlier, I can take a shot with that 50 millimeter and I can just with the very subtle touches and aperture make something look just absolutely spot on. Uh, I learned a lot of that watching a screencast that um, Derek story did on his website. So make sure to check that link out. Um, the aperture also now supports levels and curves and curves are a very high pollutant way to, to adjust your images and the color spectrums. Uh, it, it used to be a feature that you only found in Photoshop and now it's in aperture. Um, another thing that aperture does really well is allows you to edit the metadata on your, your photos so you can, you know, rename them easily and, you know, all the different metadata functions you have that are, that are editable. Some of them aren't, obviously you can't change what the lens was or what the focus setting was, but I find uh, aperture does nearly all of the photo editing I need. There's a couple third party editors I do use. and We're going to talk about that later with some of the other software, but you know, 95% of my photos start and end in aperture. Yeah. Well, iPhoto will do a lot of that, even if it's basic setting. Obviously, it will zoom up to full screen. Uh, it will change some of the settings with the exposure. Uh, it will it will do some basic sharpening, and of course, it does have that that retouch tool, uh, and of course, the magic enhance button as well with some crop and straightening tools. But it it does not have the powerful editing features that Aperture does. I I used to back in the days when I had that nice education discount and uh, especially when I was a journalism major and thought that I was going to be this great graphic designer. Um, I I used to be a big Photoshop nerd, but uh, now that I live in the real world and and Photoshop costs several thousand dollars, um, I've decided that Photoshop Elements is more than adequate for my needs. So um, I've stuck with that and Photoshop Elements has gotten a lot better in recent photos uh, versions and a, and a lot more Photoshop-ish. I, I used to hate Photoshop Elements because it was very, it seemed very plaything-ish compared yeah. to Photoshop, but uh, it's gotten better. Last time I checked, uh, just Photoshop alone was, I think, $700 and I just cannot justify that no. or no. what I do. But I'm sure there are people listening to this that you know make their living off of it and it's a great app for that and I don't want to take away from it, but for, you know, the general schmo like me, it's, it's way overkill. It's like hitting a thumbtack with a sledgehammer. Um, there are some plugins though for aperture and you can spend quite a bit of money there. <laughs> uh, Crea seed uh, has one called Hydra that does HDR, which is really nice. Um, Nick, which makes a whole bunch of filters for Photoshop and aperture and Lightroom. They have some great ones. I've reviewed them on Max Sparky they've got a really good black and white one and they've got uh, color effects, which has some really interesting color effects that you can apply. And if you get serious about this, it may be worth it spending a couple hundred bucks uh, adding some of those features because once again, if you're taking those pictures that everybody loves, just eating, getting these easy filters that, that apply in one click can save you a lot of time. I'll put links for those in the show notes. What about sharing pictures? I mean, that's the new thing, right? You've got all these pictures and it used to be you just kept them on your computer and now all of a sudden people are putting them out on the internets. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge sharer. Probably the, the way that I share photos the most, and again, this is so analog, uh, especially for, for friends and relatives who perhaps aren't as computer savvy, I still do a fair number of, of prints of my best pictures. Um, you know, some of the best artwork for your wall is your own photographs. Um, you know, nothing's more personal than personalizing your home with your own photos. So um, I do print a fair number of photographs. And I, I personally like Snapfish. They've got a plug-in that works with iPhoto now. Um, and they've, they've, I've always had pretty good luck with um, their quality and they, the price is right with Snapfish. Um, so I've uploaded a bunch of my photos to Snapfish and I use that. Um, in terms of photo sharing, I've, I've used Flickr, you know, for, for maybe some of the more, the photos that I want to make more public to people. Um, you know, so I'll throw stuff up like Macworld photos and photos relating to podcasting and I'll throw the blog world photos up there and things like that. Um, I use mobile me for sharing photos, uh, within my family. I've got a mobile me web gallery. Um, that I, I just, you know, I protect and I just send the links out to, to friend and family that I want to see that. Uh, and then Facebook, I, I do the Facebook export too. So f for me, the, uh, enhanced sharing features with, um, with the new version of iPhoto have been very welcome. What about you? Um, I'm very similar to you in that regard. I have a mobile me account and that gets the family pictures. And lately I've been a little slow in getting that updated and I'm, I'm hearing about it. So it's nice to know that people are starting to depend on that. So I got to keep up with it. And uh, I was using SmugMug, which is a really great uh, photo sharing service, but I wasn't using enough of its features to justify it. And since everybody seems to be on Flickr, I decided to switch over to Flickr. So I just got a paid Flickr account and I'm going to try to start putting some of my pictures up there uh, for some of my friends and listeners and people to see. I may put that on Max Barkey at some point, but I'm, I'm trying to figure it all out. So maybe this trip to British Columbia will motivate me to try and upload some pictures to Flickr. Yeah. Flickr is very powerful now. Uh, another thing I've done that I've really liked is, is making books. Uh, I've made oh, several books are gorgeous. Yeah. We had a, we had a, a wonderful vacation about four years ago to Maui. One of those vacations that, you know, you come back and question every decision you've made in your life because you're flying back from Maui. Hmm. And, uh, but anyway, we had so much fun and I, I made, we had another family with us and I went on and made a book in aperture and I custom, did a custom layout. That's one of the nice advantages of apertures. You can really customize the layout. And I made this great book with all the pictures we took and, uh, printed up several copies and gave them away to the friends that we went with and some relatives. And I really want to do that more often. It's, it's really fantastic. Now I use the Apple, uh, book service. Uh, there's also some really other, there's some nice ones out there in addition. And, uh, I forget the name of them all. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. There's another one that that's really well recognized. Right. The one that you can actually get a, a like a, a code, a scanner code on it. And why is that name escaping me? I just can't remember it, but I'll put it in the show notes for you. But the, uh, uh, there's a lot of different competing services. I've been using the Apple one because it's so easy when you're in Aperture just to build it right there and have it done. All right. So we've talked about getting the photos in, we've talked about organizing, and then we've talked about getting the photos back out. So I, I think that about covers it. Yeah. Um, another uh, resource I thought I'd talk about with Aperture, and these are a couple more links for the show notes. I talked about MacCreate.com, which is a great resource if you're an Aperture user. 
But another one is Apple's tutorials. You know, they're getting really good at the screencasting business. and Not as good as Don, though. Yeah, Don Don has a his own I think two part series of Aperture, and and Apple also has a bunch of small like two and three minute Aperture tutorials, and that is uh, loaded up on my iPad for my trip. So when I get some time, I'm going to be watching those and hopefully learning more about my photo application as I tour around. So what's the other image software that you use? You talked about Photoshop Elements. I, I use Photoshop Elements primarily now. Um, in the past, I have used Pixelmator. Um, I've demoed Acorn, but I've, I've never used it. Uh, uh, you know, more than just for for, for demo purposes. But I, I used Pixelmator before I uh, swapped back to Photoshop Elements. I used Photoshop as long as I possibly could get away with it before the last version that I I bought as a student just became too outdated uh, to reliably use. Um, and then I use Skitch just for fun stuff, but that's not really a photo editor manipulator. Yeah, I bought licenses for Pixelmator and Acorn, and I find for some reason that I sen- tend to use Acorn for hmm. screenshots and images I take on my computer and Pixelmator with photographs. And I'm not really sure why that is, because they both have tools to, to do both of those jobs. And I never, uh, I had a version of Photoshop Elements. I bought like, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. And I didn't like the interface. And Yeah, the interface has gotten a lot better in recent versions. Yeah, so I've never really gone back to it. I never felt the need to. But then I also use this great uh, app called Photo Magico from Boink Software. Have you ever used that? I've seen it. Oh, it's it's just the greatest for doing slideshows. And I know you can build slideshows in iPhoto and, and Aperture, but this thing is just, it really allows you to customize the Ken Burns effect, where it starts and where it ends. And it allows you to set the timing just right for your song. Um, I've been using this for years, taking care of uh, families and friends, weddings and parties where I'll make the slideshow. And now I've just become like the de facto slideshow guy. And I'm not really sure how that happened, but now it's happening all the time. So whenever somebody's getting married, uh, we know we're going to get invited and we know we're going to be asked to put the slideshow together. (laughs) And, uh, you know, one of the nice things with Photo Magico, it's so easy to work with. Um, I'll put the slideshow together on my Mac and then I'll go to a wedding that I've made the slideshow for somebody. And during the ceremony, I'll always go and get the shot uh, from the end of the aisle of the, the bride and groom standing, holding hands, looking up wherever they're looking. So you always get their backs. It's a great shot. I get it in every wedding. And then I always put it at the end of the slideshow. I just go in and download it on my Mac and just drop it into the end of the slideshow. And every time I always get a bunch of, you know, ahs and, you know, everybody's really happy with that. It's one of my tricks. Aww. See, there you go. It worked. It worked. Yeah. yeah, I've done that so many times. And quite often the wedding photographer will walk up to me at some point and say, how are you doing that? You know, they, they want to know. And most of the time they're Mac people because, you know, wedding photographers a lot of times are Mac people. So I always give them uh, the the link for Photo Magico. And I don't know how many guys I've set up. on. I should get on a, a program with Boinks for that because I think I've sold about 15 copies of that application doing that. <laughs> all right all right so have we covered photography i i think we've covered it enough just to do ourselves some damage i'm sure that we've we've got a few things wrong and i'm looking forward to hearing from the listeners and we'll cover Lots it on the feedback, feedback. Yeah. send it keep sending it yeah. send it our way yeah, we, we so. gave this episode with full disclosure but i do think we've shared how we we handle photos and we both spent a bit of time thinking about it i, I think it's a it'll be helpful for the listeners all right 
Uh, before we move on to talk about some of the great feedback we got on our last episode, I do want to thank our final sponsor of the show, and that is Naval Labs. Um, they've got two great apps that I, I want to talk about. The first I touched on uh, last episode called the Read More app, and I am pleased to give you the follow-up report that I am actually reading more. Um, you know, I know it's kind of gimmicky, but we, we talked about the fact that we're geeks and we, we like to measure and, and analyze things. So I installed the app on my iPhone and I, I plugged all my books in that I've got sitting on my night shelf waiting for me to read because I've... I promised myself at the beginning of this year that my New Year's resolution was that I was going to read more. And um, I haven't been doing very good so far, although I'm thinking about it. So perhaps that's a step in the right direction. Um, But I've started plotting my progress and um, I am making progress. So instead of reading the book, never or finishing the book, never, uh, it says that I will now finish Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell by Monday, August 30th. So um, hopefully I'll, I'll pick up the pace a little bit and finish it by then. But uh, Read More is an app where you can keep a, a reading log of, of what you're reading. So you plug in your books, you plug in the number of pages, and then uh, because we all have our iPhones in our pocket, you pop it on and you say, okay, I'm starting to read now. This is the It keeps track of where you start. You tell it where you finish. And then it does, uh, you know, graphs and analyzes and tells you how many pages you're reading. And it gives you kind of an estimate of where you are in the book and, and where you're likely to finish. And it's, you know, it's it's really just motivation for trying to get you to read more. So it, it seems to be working for me. So I'm I'm very thrilled with it. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully by the time the summer is over, that that stack of books on my nightstand will be gone because I've got another stack coming. Okay, now we also talked about uh, Naval Labs' other application, the Pomodoro Timer. And I, I just mentioned it briefly in the last show and got a bunch of email from people asking me about it. So let me tell you, it's uh, Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. I actually knew that. Uh, well, I'm impressed. Everybody in Italy that listens to this show right now is groaning at the way I pronounced it, but nevertheless, there it is. Uh, so... There, I think it was a grad student in Italy who thought, came up with this technique. He w- wanted to get work done, and he was finding he kept finding distractions. So he took his tomato timer and cranked it up to 25 minutes and said, okay, I'm going to work for 25 minutes until this thing dings, and I'm not going to let anything interrupt me. I'm not going to go check email. I'm not going to do whatever it is that distracts us. And uh, he found it worked really well. Then he took a five-minute break, and then he'd set it again. And for every four times every four sets, then he would take a longer break, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And he found it worked really well. And it's kind of taken off as the sensation. Well, Naval Labs came up with their own application that does this for you. It's the Pomodoro timer and it's got the, it looks like a tomato. It's great. I love it. And I've been using that and really enjoying it. So you can get that as well. Uh, NavalLabs.com is the website and you can also find them in the app store. Uh, I encourage you to check them out. Uh, I'm really pleased that we have a, a app developer as a sponsor of the show. That's exactly what we were looking for when we started this, uh, helping these types of people out. And I want to thank Naval Labs for sponsoring the Mac Power users. Yep, and you can actually find them at naval-labs.com. And we'll put a link to them in our show notes. And uh, as David said, you can find these great apps in iTunes. Okay, so let's do some follow-up. Um, uh, we had from the show when we were talking about servers, we had a follow-up uh, email from Ron. And uh, he had talked about, you know, whether or not you need uh, a um, 
a, a Mac mini server. And he had some ideas. He thought it was a convenient place uh, to uh, store photos and be able to get on the family room HDTV, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier with this show. Right. And I also saw it as a nice place to keep a centralized iTunes library. You know, iTunes and iPhoto, those are the two that really causes people to scratch their head a little bit when they want to share that library in the family. Apple needs to do a better job of that. Um, he uses it for Netflix streaming, access to Rhapsody, um, which is a, a music subscription service, and Pandora and other internet radio services. Um, I thought it was a pretty good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think this could also be used for the iPhoto library sharing that we talked about earlier in the show. So yeah. many uses for a Mac Mini. We also got some follow-up regarding uh, Mac Speech from our Dictate Show and Text Expander. Now, this is a problem that I personally haven't run into, but I did want to throw it out there because we got some follow-up on it. Um, But a couple of listeners wrote in and said that one downside to Mac Speech Dictate is that it doesn't work well when both it and Text Expander are running. Um, And it says that occasionally the characters are transposed uh, and Text Expander snippets do not always expand properly. So... Uh, we mentioned it just to throw it out there. Hopefully, a fix is in the works. Um, David, have you have you had this issue crop up? Because I know you're a, a big dictate and big text expander user. You know, I was aware of that and completely forgot to put it in the outline or mention it in the show. So I apologize. Um, another uh, email we got was from Max Beach. Uh, they apparently enjoyed the show, and but hey. one, one point they made was uh, I had said in the show that you know you need to. Be careful because once you buy it, you've bought it. Well, I was wrong. They have a thirty day. No, we haven't bought it. They do a thirty day money back guarantee. So if you're on the fence about Mac Speech Dictate, but you think it'll be useful to you, you can take it home and try it on your Mac. Excellent. That's great news. So how do you contact us, Katie? There are a couple of different ways. First and foremost, you can check out our website at www.macpowerusers.com. You can find links to everything that we talked about in today's show, uh, along with links to all the software that we discussed and all of the links to our great sponsors' products over at Mac Power Users. You can also reach us with email at feedback at macpowerusers.com, and that'll come to both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're usually pretty good about responding. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers or at MacPowerUsers on Twitter. You can leave a message for us with Google Voice at 706-457-6937. That's 706-45-POWER. Power. And also, there's um, also a link for that on our website, so you can just go click it. Go to the website and you can click it. Um, and lastly, we love iTunes comments. We haven't mentioned this in a while, but if you uh, get a chance, if you like the show, uh, hop on by in iTunes. There's a link on our website, or you can just uh, search for us in iTunes under Mac Power Users. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know what you think. iTunes comments help us gain more exposure. More exposure means more listeners. Uh, and more listeners means all kinds of good things for you. So uh, thank you for those of you who have left wonderful iTunes comments. It makes my day every time I go in and read them. And thank you for those of you who will. And I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Smile on My Mac, uh, makers of Disk Label, among other great Mac software applications. 1Password, makers of 1Password, and Knox. And Naval Labs, found at naval-labs.com. Uh, makers of the Pomodoro Timer and Read More application for your iPhone. All right. David, what's next? Okay, so I've been meaning to get to this show. Uh, we're going to talk oh, about boy. Keynote. 
We're not going to talk about presentation software because I don't really want to talk about that other one. We're not going to talk about PowerPoint. Yeah, we're going to get into Keynote. I'm going to talk about Keynote Mojo. We're going to cover some of the best uh, usage techniques and also some general ideas about how to do presentations. And you're going to have to keep me down on this one because I could talk a long time about this. You remember that uh, stack of books I was talking about on my nightstand? Yeah. One of them is the uh, Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Oh, really? Yeah. There's some really good books. If you want to read one in anticipation of the show, I recommend Presentation Zen. Great, great book. Okay, well, let's leave it at that. And everybody, thank you for listening and sticking with us through the photography marathon. And we look forward to seeing you next time when we cover Presentation Mojo, specifically Keynote. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night.